Okay, good morning, everyone. This morning, we're going to learn Parashat Shalach. Parashat Shalach is mostly about the spies, what we call the son of the spies, but it's really also the, the nation's response to the spies. Very a lot of uh, messages about psychology, about human psychology, and as well as under, understanding relationships between people. Let's get into it. The Torah tells us that Hashem promised Am Yisrael that we would be entering into the land of Israel and receiving it. It's known as the time of the land of Canaan, Eres Canaan, that we're on our way to getting it. As we spoke about last week in Parashat Ba'alotcha, we were on our downhill trajectory because people seemed were complaining and they maybe they didn't even want to enter. Potentially, it's like subconsciously they didn't want to enter the land because that would come with independence and responsibility and having the responsibility of having to run your own country and you no longer could would collect the man, so etc. So for whatever the reason is, the people became against it. Um, that's the the background. But what actually happens? Here's the story. The Torah tell the Torah tells us that. People request to send in people to scout out the land. So Moshe Rabbeinu comes up with 12 people, 12 representatives from each tribe, a good representation of the entire nation, send these 10 men who we will call the spies, the Miraglim, send the 10 men into the land, and Moshe gave them specific questions. Go check out the trees, see what the trees are like, check out the fruits, see what the land is like, see what the people are like, see whether the cities are fortified or not. Try to come up with military tactics of how we're going to be entering this land or not, uh, or not not how or, uh, how we'll be entering the land or not, how we will approach the land when we enter. God told us we'll have it. So how should we approach it? Now, they go in and they they have a 40-day uh, reconnaissance or a 40-day scouting. They're going and they're looking into the land. And now the question is, who sent them? The Torah tells us that Moshe was the one who sent them. Moshe was the one, Moshe and Aharon, and these are people who are working uh, as spies. Someone is a spy, and they go and they collect a report. They scout out uh, someone, uh, something about the enemy. When they get that information, whom do they give the information to? The answer is the general, their boss, whoever they're speaking to. They do not give that information on Twitter. If they do, then they're not a good spy because they're blowing their cover, and that's not the, the the message. The message that you learn should be shared directly with your boss, with your commander, with your um, the the person who's sending you, your general. And so what ha- happens is, this is, the Torah tells us, when they go to the land, at the end of forty days they return. They go to Moshe and Aaron to give the report. So far, so good, except. And to the entire nation. They are now giving their report, not just to Moshe and Aaron, but to everyone. In other words, they're releasing their report on Twitter even before they've spoken to Moshe and Aaron. They're just telling everyone at the same time. Okay, so there's something wrong there in terms of the process. That's not how this should work. Even if you feel like afterwards you should go tell the public because the public uh, should know, but there's a process. You don't go give the briefing. You know, the military wouldn't go give a briefing to the president and to the American people at the same time. That's not how it works. So they did. And they came back with, surprisingly, a good report about the land. They said that the fruit is amazing. They brought some fruits from the land that were very large, and it was very clear that it was a rich 
uh, land that was very fertile and able to produce a big, healthy uh, fruits and vegetation. So that was a good thing. And they brought it and they showed it. And they said, the land is flowing with milk and honey. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Very rich land. It's something that the land is is very good. But there's a problem. The problem is the people who live on the land, the inhabitants of the land, are extremely powerful and extremely strong. And they have fortified cities until the heavens. They're so big. Very, very, very fortified. And uh, they have giants living there. The people that we've seen there are gigantic. And who else is living there? Amalek is sitting, is living there. Why are they saying Amalek? What does Amalek trigger in the minds of Am Yisrael? We, we read in Parashat B'Shalach that Amalek was the nation who attacked us when we left Egypt in the desert. So, you know what's a good way to create mass hysteria and fear, fear-mongering? Say, you know, remember that nation that attacked us? That's where they live, and we're going to walk right into their, their yard. Right? So they, they said, Amalek lives, Amalek lives there, other people live there. Kalev and Yoshua were two out of the ten sides who did not join in this negative report. The 12 men, two of them, Yehoshua and Kalev, were saying that we can do this. We will do this. Uh, when they were saying that we can't, uh, um, Kalev is on Moshe's team, for example, and tries to quiet the team into Moshe. And Moshe says, We can do it. Why are you saying you can't do it? That's that's your issue. Your issue is the enemy. Someone else is going to fight this for you. So you have a military in, uh, and the military is promised and guaranteed by Ribbono Shalom. Can I ask you a question? We were in Egypt. Egypt was the superpower of the world. Egypt was stronger than Canaan. Egypt had the highest technology of the world at this time. Egypt was the center of civilization, the superpower of the world. How many swords did the Amisrael have to lift in order to fight against the Egyptians? Zero. How many bullets did they have to shoot in order to, I mean, there weren't bullets, but how much war did they have to wage or to fight to defend themselves against the Egyptians? The answer is zero. We didn't need to do anything. God fought the war for us. We walked into a seabed, the 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 the, the Red Sea, the Yamsuf, the Egyptians come in, the water goes on top of them, they're gone. This is your complaint? Have you learned nothing from what you've been experiencing this past year? Your complaint is you can't fight them. There's a very important line here that there's a beautiful psychology behind it. Uh, and the line is, we saw the, the giants there. We saw giants there. This line is translated as follows. We were like grasshoppers in our eyes. In our own eyes, we, we viewed ourselves and we perceived ourselves as grasshoppers. And so too, we were perceived as grasshoppers by them. In other words, we viewed ourselves as grasshoppers, grasshoppers, and they viewed us as grasshoppers. And the obvious question here is, the second half of they viewed us as grasshoppers is what you're trying to convey. You're trying to say, hey, they're so big, we can't fight them. They, you know, they viewed us as grasshoppers. They didn't even care about us. They saw us, and they knew that we were scanning out their land, and they still didn't care because they viewed us as grasshoppers. But there's an additional line there that comes first. That line is, we viewed ourselves as grasshoppers. They had absolutely no self-esteem, no self-confidence. They did not believe they could do this. 
Because the truth is, we weren't an organized army. We didn't have the best technology. We didn't have anything. So the truth is, if you're looking at the facts of, of us against them, we were nothing. We were a slave nation. So they're right that the nation is stronger than us. They're right that if we had to fight a war, us against them, they would win. But there's one thing they're missing, and that's the Ribbono Shalom. Ribbono Shalom is the one who's promising to give you this land. Ribbono Shalom is the one that took us out of Egypt, and it will promise to take us into the land of, of Israel. He's the one that promised this land to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and then told Moshe that now is the time we're going to enter the land. We will conquer it. You will be successful. You will receive it. So this is what you're complaining about. This is the one thing you don't need to worry about. This is the one thing that I told you. It's like someone who's given a, a, a credit card by someone. Here's a credit card. Go for whatever reason. Um, let's say there's some specific wedding, whatever you need for the wedding, all expenses on me. And you come and you say, no, I can't afford it. What do you mean you can't afford it? You have a credit card here. The person's giving you this credit card and telling you whatever you need for the wedding, you pay, you put on this card. No, 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 no. I want to do it myself. What do you want to do it yourself for? You, you want to be a hero all of a sudden? So you want to fight the Canaanim in your own merit, in your own right, and then you're going to lose. Of course, you're going to lose that way. But that's not what that's not what Hashem is saying. Hashem is saying, I'm going to fight this war for you. So the 10 spies, 10 out of the 12 spies came in with this negative report. Now, Let's say the story would have ended there. The truth is, it would not have been so bad. Because what would have happened is, the Torah tells us, uh, coming up soon, that the 10 Miraglim that came with a bad report, they died. It was clear that Hashem was upset with them, and what they did was, was, was a terrible act. It was a sin, and so they died. So the Torah tells us that they end up dying. But if it would have ended there, it would have just ended with them 10 dying and it's over. But the problem is, that's not where it ended. The problem is, there was a second sin here. And that second sin was the sin of the people. And the Torah tells us that the people listened. And the people believed it. And the people decided that they do not want to, want to enter the land of Canaan. That night they were crying, they were crying, they were saying, if we go into this land, we're going to die, we don't want to enter this land. They cried to Moshe and Aaron saying, what, there weren't enough, it would have been better if we died in Egypt, we'd rather die here, or we would have rather have died in Egypt than to go and enter that land and die, why does God want to take us there? It's, you know what, let's go back to Egypt. Now, what's very important about this line of it's we'd rather return to Egypt is understanding that there is no uh, civilized people living in Egypt. The entire army came and, and chased after us and they're dead. So there are some women, there's some children, maybe there's some stragglers left back in Egypt, but Egypt's an open land that we know very well because we were all born there. At this time period, we were all born there. We all lived there. We were all from there. And it's empty. We could just go back. So the Torah tells us, Let's get rid of Moshe Rabbeinu. Get rid of Moshe. We don't need him. We'll find someone else. We'll have another leader. And we'll go back to Egypt. What do we need to go into Canaan when we're going to, it's it's a contested, uh, we're going to have to go to war and we're going to lose the wars. Instead, let's go to Egypt. There's no wars to fight. We're going to win. Why is Egypt empty that you could just get it uncontestedly? Because Ribbono Shalom fight the war, fought the war for you. They should have understood that Ribbono Shalom will fight the war in Canaan for them as well, but they didn't. And when they accepted the message and when they accepted the fact that 
they will not be successful if they enter the land of Israel. And they said they don't want to go in. And they said, let's get rid of Moshe Rabbeinu. And they said, let's go down to Egypt. The people now sinned. It wasn't the 10 men. The 10 men is nothing. It was the people also. The people had the choice to listen to Moshe, Aharon, Yoshua, and Kalev, or to the choice in God, or they had the choice to listen to the 10 other spies. And they chose to listen to the 10 spies. And because of that, it's very, very unfortunate that Ibn Shalom says, okay, you don't want to enter the land. No problem. You will not enter the land. But Hashem says, whoever complained and said they don't want to enter the land of Israel, anyone above the age of 20 will die in the desert and they will never get to enter the land of Israel because that was their wish. They wished not to enter the land of Israel, so they will die in this desert and they will not enter the land. And then the people are crying and they're saying, no, we're sorry, we're going to go, we're going to do it. And Hashem said, this is not something that you could just take back and pretend like it didn't happen. You decided that you want to overthrow and, and basically kill Moshe and do a, a coup, get rid of Moshe and leave. This is not something. If someone rebels against the, the government, against the king, and then afterwards the king catches them, he doesn't say, no, 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 I'm sorry. You know what? Okay, we'll be on your team. That's not how it works. You're rebelling against God and you're rebelling against Moshe. You're rebelling against Am Yisrael. If people are doing this, Rebbe Moshe Olam says, Anyone above the age of 20 will not enter the land of Israel, except for two people. Those two people are Kalev, ben Yefuneh, and Yehoshua, ben Nun, the two spies who came back with the good report and tried to encourage the people that they will be able to enter the land of Israel. Um, there was a group of people that said, no, 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 we're, we were sorry, we're going to do it, we're going to enter the land of Israel, we're going to do it, and then the next morning they decided they're going to go in. And Moshe told them, you cannot do this. The Aaron is not with you. God is not with you. Don't do this. But what happens? They went in. And all of them were slaughtered. Everyone who tried to fight at that point without God, they were killed. Because the truth is, they had no army. They were not ready to fight this. They were not, they were not a very powerful nation. They were few in numbers. So they were when you're following the laws of nature, they should lose. But they didn't see that Rivono Shalom was running the world. There's a couple of things I want to share here. One of them is like when, when there's a, a rule that comes to Lashon Hara. There's an idea that when a person should not speak negative about others, about another person, or about another, another uh, institution even, a community. And now we see also about the land of Israel. A person cannot speak negatively about the land of Israel. And this is the falls in the category of Lashon Hara. But you see, when there's Lashon Hara, there's two sides to Lashon Hara. There's one side, the person who's saying it, and then there's another side, the person who accepts it and receives it. Had the spies spoken Lashon Hara, and it would have stopped, they would have believed them, then none of this tragedy would have happened. We would have continued on our way to the land of Israel. Those 10 people would have gotten what they deserve. Unfortunately, the nation accepted the Lashon Hara and they listened to the message even though it was false. It was false. There was facts involved, but the message was false. And because of that, because they accepted this message, they said they didn't want to enter the land and they were punished for it. You see here that when there's Lashon Hara being spoken, there's two parties. There's the one who's saying it and there's the one who's listening to it. If someone is speaking Lashon Hara to you, don't say, well, I have to listen. 
What do you mean? Or don't believe everything that anyone says. I, this is something that anyone and everyone knows that there's always two sides of a story. Has it ever happened that someone is saying something negative about you? And in your mind, that's not how it went down. That's not how it happened. Like, I wish I had an opportunity to defend myself here. There's halachot, that you're not allowed to have a court case without having the defendant, or the other litigant, the other party in the room. Why? Because if I'm not there, you could say whatever you want. There's always two sides to a story. And it's not even necessarily that they're lying. It's that there's two perceptions, three perceptions. You could have two people having an argument, a husband and a wife, two friends, uh, whatever it is, a parent and a child, they're having an argument. And each one believes 100% in the facts. They're not lying. Neither of them is lying. But this, the story is not the same. How does that happen? The answer is because as humans, we perceive and we see different things at different times. And we have to, we have to acknowledge that. So now when someone says something, if you're going to accept everything they say as fact without the recognition and the acknowledgement that it's possible that some of their details is not 100%, it's possible that they are seeing things from a negative light. It's possible that they are seeing things from a different perspective and you're not even open to listening, to, to, to thinking and filtering, filtering. Maybe this person is, is coming in with an agenda. Maybe this person is hurt. Maybe this person doesn't see something. But instead, you assume what they say as, as fact, uh, that is just as bad, if not worse, than speaking Lashon Hara. You're accepting the Lashon Hara. If the people would not have accepted it, nothing bad would have happened. Whose sin was worse here? The, the people chose to accept it and then to act on that story and to decide that they want to get rid of Moshe. They chose to accept it. They didn't have to accept it. So this is very important that when someone speaks Lashon Hara, as a person who's in the room, you have the choice to listen to it. You have the choice to believe it. Now, there are times where things need to be spoken. There are times where you need to ask questions. For example, you want to do business with someone. And you want to know, is this a person that I could do business with? You're supposed to ask. And you're supposed to get your information. But when someone says something, it doesn't now necessarily mean that you have to believe them that this person is a, is a thief or this person is... You could just say, you know what? Whatever it is, there's something here. I don't want to get involved. Maybe he's an innocent person, but he had a bad a situation with someone else. I don't want to get involved. There's nothing wrong with saying I don't want to get involved with a headache. But for now, me to believe that this person is a crook, this person is a thief, this person is going to cheat everyone, you shouldn't believe that because there's always two sides of the story. You know, what happens, what happens if actually the guy that you're talking to, that you're getting the reference from, what happens if he was the one who was doing something wrong? And now he's blaming it on the other guy. Is that possible? Of course it's possible. But you've never watched a, a movie or a soap opera or a, a drama. These things happen all the time. So from our perspective, what we have to what we have to do is we have to cover ourselves and we have to ask information. For, for example, in a shiduchim type of situation, uh, a marriage situation, you want to do your research and get information? Fine. But what are you going to do? You're going to go get information from this person's ex-girlfriend? Or this person's ex-boyfriend, you want to go get information for them? Is it possible that this person might bend the truth a little bit, even subconsciously? Of course, you can't believe everything that everyone says. You cannot. And anyone who does is a fool. So that's one of the messages, that the lessons that we learned from this parasha. Um, and it's very sad, the, the, the fact that they were decreed that they will not be entering the land of Israel. One thing I'll, I'll mention is that after this section, uh, there's a lot of mitzvot 
there's a lot of other mitzvah given in the parasha, but I'll just jump to the end. There's a mitzvah of tzitzit. I'll just speak about this, and then we'll we'll close up. The Torah at the very end tells us that there's a mitzvah that Bnei Israel have a mitzvah that they should put fringes or strings or tzitzit on the corners of a four-cornered garment. So to clarify, a person does not have to wear tzitzit. Here is the obligation. If you choose to wear a garment that has four corners, if you choose to wear a garment that has four corners, then you need to put strings on that four-cornered garment. If you choose not to wear it, so you don't need to. If all you're going you're gonna to wear a shirt without corners you don't need to put tzitzit on but if you wear uh, a like a, a blanket type of thing as a cloak as a robe or something then, then it needs to have tzitzit okay so now what do we do what we do in our the minhag of israel is that we wear a four-cornered garment on purpose so that we could put the strings on it so that we could fulfill this mitzvah it's us showing our love for wanting to do this mitzvah because if you don't wear that four-cornered garment, then you don't need to put on tzitzit. But we go out of our way. For example, in tefillah, we wear a talit. Talit is a big four-cornered garment so that we could do that. Misav tzitzit. Or underneath, men wear this, uh, what's called a tzitzit katan. Again, you go out of your way to put on a four-cornered garment so that you could do this misav tzitzit. What's the, what's the reason behind the misav tzitzit? The Torah tells us that when someone sees the tzitzit, it's supposed to serve as a reminder. A person, when they see it, they should uh, get support not to go after what their eyes see and what their hearts want, meaning there are times that you have a temptation to do something and you know that you shouldn't do it, but the temptation is strong. The temptation is pulling you in. So the tzitzit is supposed to be there on you to help you, to give you motivation that you're going to tell yourself, like, I, I can't do this. This is not who I am. I am... If I do this, this is not myself. The tzitzit is supposed to help you to remind you who you are. Uh, and the Torah says that when you see the tzitzit and you, when you wear the tzitzit, um, when you see them and you feel them and you keep them as a reminder, it will encourage you to fulfill all of the mitzvot. Now, uh, one thing to mention about the mitzvah of tzitzit is that not not always do people experience this. There are times where people wear the tzitzit and they're still going to do things that are wrong. So this is where you wear the tzitzit is the first part of the mitzvah. And the second part of it is also to try to, to, to be more conscious and mindful. Use the tzitzit as something, as an opportunity to keep you in the right way. When you want to do something and not when, when you have a temptation to do something and you know you shouldn't, Reach for onto your tzitzit if that helps you, to help motivate you. Again, it's supposed to be a tool. It's a mitzvah. And it's a tool that Torah tells us to help us to stay focused on fulfilling the mitzvot. Bezhar Hashem, I'll mention that tonight is Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Tammuz is Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday. I hope and pray that everyone has a wonderful month ahead. And Bezhar Hashem, it should only, with this bracha, only receive, this month only have bracha for you and your families and all of your loved ones. Shavuot Tov, Chodesh Tov. We'll speak to you next week. Take care. Bye.